Hello and welcome to Note Doctors Summer Shorts. My name is Paul. My name is Jen. My name is Ben. And we are your hosts. We are all university music theory instructors who are passionate about music theory and music theory instruction. In these short episodes, we will be sharing with each other and all of you musical examples and teaching tips covering a wide range of topics. So if you want to know more about music theory and the most effective and innovative ways to teach it, this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome back to Note Doctors, the music theory and pedagogy podcast. And we have made it to summer. We have made it through the spring semester. And so we are on to our summer shorts, which are shorter episodes, as the title entails, where we, the three of us, just chat about theory topics. We have a good time just keeping uh, keeping it real, keeping it fresh. <laughs> <laughs> As much as three theorists can do um, <laughs> over the summer. <laughs> yeah. I have those Michael Scott moments where I start a sentence and I'm not sure how I'm going to get out of it. <laughs> you just go until it just ends. Just keep going. <laughs> and so um, we're going to have kind of a, a, a different episode here. We're actually going to play a game, a fun game, hopefully, um, where we'll pit... Uh, Jen and Ben, two Enneagram Nines against each other. Uh, but before we get into that, um, I just we just wanted to give a little shout out to a listener who reached out to us on our email address, which is notedoctorspodcast at gmail.com. Um, and this listener is from Georgia, not Georgia, the state in the United States, but Georgia, the country. Uh, specifically Tbilisi, and his name is Vitaly, and he is a second-year student of music theory slash piano at the Moscow Jazz College, uh, working remotely from Tbilisi due to the ongoing war. And this is his email um, to us. Um, he uh, has been listening to 15, ep- he's listened to at least 15 episodes, and he says, it's hugely helpful for me to hear someone talking and caring about the same issues and matters that I keep thinking about for the last couple of years. And Vitaly even has this awesome wiki that he's created of all of these resources um, on music theory to kind of help in his own study. Um, so that's awesome. Thank you, Vitaly, for uh, 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 writing and listening and finding um the folks that we have on the podcast to be educational, and uh, we so appreciate you listening and writing, and hope you know you're staying safe and all of that. And so uh, encouraging, yeah. yeah, that's that's so awesome. I mean, it's like Moscow Jazz College, so like this American music in Russia. I mean, it's just kind of cool. It's yeah. amazing how music and the internet works. <laughs> so thank you, Vitaly, for for listening. It transcends. It transcends. Uh, countries transcends language so it's awesome but thank you so much for writing in and thank you for listening and uh, hope you have a great summer if you have summer break I don't I don't really know how the education system works in uh, in other countries uh, so maybe you have classes maybe you're not uh, but hopefully you hear this and uh, uh, thank you for listening so we are on to a game all right so okay, this is so for people who don't know what the Enneagram is, Enneagram oh, okay. nines hate conflict. And okay, Ben and right. I are both nines. Yeah. Yep. And Paul That's... loves <laughs> pitting us That's... against each other. Setting us up. Battles. That's right. And what's going to happen is we're just going to want to agree. <laughs> uh-huh. That's so, how we work. 
So this game is a game that I've pulled actually from another podcast, which is about the podcast is on like liberal Christian theology, so it has nothing to do with music theory. But I like the game, <laughs> and they call it "Au Contraire, Mon Frère." All right, so on the contrary, my brother, or Masur, because we have uh, a female right. contestant. All right, and so the I'm going to read the rules. All right, because. You also both have not had any prep on this, so we need to make That's sure correct. we're all going in blind here. Yeah. Um, and so, so this game will consist of four rounds. Each round begins by the moderator, which is me, stating a hot take from a past podcast guest. The first contestant then has 60 seconds to agree or disagree with that statement and give their defense. The second contestant will then be given 60 seconds to take the opposite position as the first contestant. Now, this is very important right here. Neither contestant is required at any point in the game to voice the opinion they actually believe to be true. So you could, you could if you know what position Jen's going to take, you could take her position and take it from her or, you know, be contrarian, whatever. The moderator will determine the winner of each round and the contestants will take turns going first. All right. Um, if either of the contestants say the, the mystery bonus word or phrase during their answer, they automatically win the round. So there's a, there's a word or phrase that if you say it in your answer, you will win. Okay, but you don't know it. Do um, we know what that is? Oh, we no, don't know. No, you don't know what it is. Oh, All right. Wow. Okay. All right. If the game is tied <laughs> up to like, four I'm rounds. I unaware. <laughs> there will be a tie-breaking fifth round. All right, which I, I, I just plan okay. on having. Um, and we, do, we will have a practice, <laughs> practice question just to kind of get the juices okay. flowing. Okay? Okay. All right. Are we clear question. on the rules? Do we need to go over anything? Yes. The rules right. are clear. Are we good? Okay, Good. so this is um, this is the, this, this practice question um, is um, actually not a hot take um, from a podcast. I just thought I would write it and um, uh, let me get my timer going up. Jen or Ben, do you either want to go first? Sure. Of course. Okay, Ben, you said sure first. All right. I, <laughs> <laughs> if you can see the Zoom screen, they both are like. <laughs> Sure, from like they're always deferring, always deferring. All right, so Ben, you will answer first, okay? All right, and then and then Jen, you'll have to come up with the the opposite statement. All right, so this is the statement: the label five six four is the best way of representing the melodic and harmonic formula that often appears at the end of phrases in music of common practice period, by which the intervals of a sixth and fourth above the bass resolve down respectively to a fifth and third above the bass. Would you like me to read that one more time? The label 564 is the best way of representing the melodic and harmonic formula that often appears at the end of phrases in music of the common practice period by which the intervals of a sixth and fourth above the bass resolve down respectively to a fifth and third above the bass. Are you ready, Ben? I'm ready. All right, go. So I'll say, yes, it is the best label for that particular formula because... Of course, if the 6-4 resolves down to 5-3, that would be the root position dominant. And if you want to elaborate that dominant, then you could have this double suspension figure. And therefore, since the bass is sustaining that dominant, you could consider that to be an elaborated dominant, and an embellishment of sorts. And in fact, often that particular uh, chord in question, we might say, is preceded by, in fact, a predominant function, which would then suggest a motion two 
of course, the dominant uh, as, as a consequence. So therefore, the best label would be to put the 5 underneath with a 6-4 to 5-3 motion above. Perfect. Time. All right. Well done, Ben. All right. Okay. So not shocking. You went with it. All right. So, so Jen, um, your response. I disagree. <laughs> we don't label any other chord that way using Roman numerals. For example, we do not label pedal six fours this way. So we do not say when we go one, four, six, four, one, that's what we write. We do not write one, five, three, one, six, four, one, five, three, because that doesn't make any sense. So what's really going on here is we're conflating two systems. We're taking the Roman numeral system, which comes about in the 19th century, and we are putting figure base with it, or really 18th century, but whatever. We're putting figure base with it, which is a much older system where they had no idea about Roman numerals. So we are taking these two things and we're putting them together trying to show a voice leading process using a Roman numeral, which is a chord function label. So I disagree. Time. <laughs> All right, very good. All right. Woo. All right. We need to do the practice question. All right. Well, neither Woo. of you said the bonus phrase, which was ah. omit the fifth, but that's okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> There's already a lot, Paul. There's already I know. a lot. I love it. <laughs> the fifth. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well done. All right. That was definitely a tie. Okay. All right. So. All right. So Jen, you went. You you're gonna go first this time. All right. Okay. So okay. this one this one counts. All right. All right. All right, so, all right. So here okay. we go. All right. This is coming from courtesy of John Mortensen from episode I want to say six or seven. His quote. Serialism and set theory is a total waste of time to learn in the undergraduate theory core. Serialism and set theory is a total waste of time to learn in the undergraduate theory core. What do you say, Jen? I disagree. I think that um, students are likely to encounter music like this at some point in their journey if they're going to be career musicians, and therefore they should be exposed to how it works. That's not to say that we should spend, you know, tons of time on it necessarily if that's not relevant for your students, but music theory can be about exposing students to things that they would not naturally find on their own or naturally maybe enjoy on their own and explaining to them why that music was created and why it's interesting. And set theory and serialism are one avenue for doing that with some music that can be really challenging at first, but once you study it can be more interesting. There you go. Nice. All right. Exposing. Exposing our students. Two things. Um, right. Yeah. And of course, John Mortensen's all about improvising in the classical style, which is something that students also are not interested in. And so also, I love you, Dr. Mortensen. To. I'm sorry I disagreed with you. <laughs> That's right. He was my college professor, so <laughs> that was not. He may be listening. We don't know. He may be listening. All right. Okay. So, Ben. Au contraire, Masur. Okay. So I'm going to disagree. No, no I'm going to agree. You're going to agree with the statement. Agree. Sorry. I'm going to agree that 
a complete waste of time. Serialism, set theory, are you kidding me? Let's start with the fact that if you want to actually teach contemporary music, if somebody, if somebody today considers set theory to be a way of teaching modern music, well, let me tell you, we're in the year 2023, not the year 1923. So there's a point right there. There are so many different styles that you have to leave out in order to teach serialism and set theory my goodness if you want to consider yourself to teach a broad range of styles from a lot of different places a lot of different musics that exist in this world to focus on serialism and set theory all you're doing is narrowing that uh, focus to a Germanic Austro-centric perspective <laughs> and you should just hit the road jack right from that point. Expand yourself outward. How many jazz tunes can you name that start with a 12-tone row? Well, I can name one, but I can only name one. So if you have people... Time's that wanna... up. Oh, my God. <laughs> ben was <laughs> preaching. All right, I like this. He was. <laughs> All right. Well, neither of you said the bonus word, which was Votzek. Oh. Ben, you got close. We I did. The I was German. 1923. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Very good. Wait, I, what was I, the word? Votzek. Like the opera by Berg. Berg. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, very good. I, I, I am going to have to give Jen the win because I also am a former student of John Morrison and I'm also afraid to disagree with him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, second round. So, Ben, you're starting this one, okay? okay? All right. This is courtesy of Nicole Biamonte. Here's okay. what she says. If I could design a four-semester theory course, there would be a semester of form, a semester of rhythm and meter, a semester of pitch structures, and a semester of timbre and texture. One more time, from Nicole Biamonte. If I could design a four-semester theory sequence, there would be a semester of form, a semester of rhythm and meter, a semester of pitch structures, in a semester of timbre and texture. What do you say, Ben? It's a tough one. And I really like Nicole. So I hate to disagree with her. But I think I have to. I will choose the disagree in this case. And the reason being that I think, given a selection of music, it is in fact not just one element that is the most or least operative in one given musical moment. But yet, it's the interaction of those, those elements that create uh, salience um, in music. So therefore, by kind of implying by your structure of your curriculum, the timbre is kind of this separate thing from rhythm and meter, which is kind of this separate thing from harmony, etc., that you will kind of, by implication, separate some musical elements that are, by their very nature, integrated to create um, this uh, music that we all know and and love. So I think also the tools that we have at the current moment to discuss timbre are a bit limited. So in terms of making the distinction at this time to say we're going to spend a whole semester on timbre, it would be very difficult just because of time. the materials. All right. Disagreed. All right, with that statement. All okay. right, Jen, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, go for it. All right, well, so by nature of this game, I agree with this statement. And um, that is because it opens the door to studying music that we otherwise never welcome into the music theory curriculum, typically, in the United States. 
Um, and despite the challenges of perhaps not having textbooks that would align with this or having to go seek out resources, it would let you look at, for example, gamelan music in your class or, you know, all sorts of other types of music from around the world or even in our own culture that we never get around to addressing if our whole entire curriculum is harmony based, which I think was Nicole's goal here was to, to point out that often our curriculum is completely surrounding these harmo harmonic ideas. How quickly can we get to Roman numerals? And then after that, it's all about, you know, modulation and borrowed chords and the Neapolitan and the augmented six chords. And where in there are we talking about orchestration or how those time? Okay. Right. Very good. Very good. <laughs> All right. Neither of you said the bonus word, which was Aldwell Schachter. <laughs> I really feel like these words are too hard. <laughs> just that never even crossed my the mind. Track of the question that we're not really going to say. Them. Hey, I, that's why it has to be. That's why it has that's to be right. hard, right? Yeah. Okay. No, that's true. All right. Okay. So that, very good. Very good. Um, I'm going to have to give Ben the win because he didn't hedge his answer. All right. And um, <laughs> and you're there it's a very for nine so thing to do is hedge like that. I was I was yeah. really resonating with Jen's answer <laughs> in that way. And Ben, your therefores are very strong. That creates this coherent line. Therefore, <laughs> thus saith. All right. Okay. Okay. Such academic speak of me, isn't it? Even when I'm going in blind, I'm still thereforeing everything. Right. Therefore. Now on to round three. So one so, to one so far. So one to one. So, um, Jen, you are up first. And this okay. is from Toby Rush, where he oh. says, Singing is the most important aural skill. Singing is the most important aural skill. What do you say, Jen? I will, I will agree that singing is the best way for students to demonstrate internal musical thinking. So it is the best way for uh, us to be able to see and assess and diagnose what students are hearing internally. And of course, this means that you might have to teach some singing techniques, some basic ways for students to have better vocal production, because sometimes that's an issue. But seeing is the, the best spot of uh, singing is the best spotlight into that sort of internal aural development that's going on. It's the, the clearest way to see what's going on in the student's mind. OK. All right. Very good. And a very Gene Cho answer right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm writing an online class right uh, now, and I just wrote, like, multiple lessons on assessment. Uh-huh. And, yeah. you know, so uh -huh. that's where my yes. head is. There we go. All right, Ben. The statement is, singing is the most important oral skill. Jen said, it is. What do you say? Of course it's not. I'll start by saying that if you don't start with rhythm counting systems, then every singing you might do could occur out of time. So the rhythm and meter part has to be there, and that does not have to be sung, maybe counted uh, syllabically. Uh, but let's say in addition to that, you could have alternatives to singing, like you could have humming 
you can have people playing their instruments in aural skills with a I think is very much neglected in our field bringing the instruments in um, to aural skills and of course a variety of skills that don't involve singing like just assessing the sounds that are coming to you and making statements about those kinds of sounds and uh, writing down you know uh, even just some notes about the timbres and the types of um, uh, sounds that you're hearing are equally as important as to singing so there you go time's up all right neither of you said the bonus word which was oot (laughs) (laughs) i love these bonus words yeah so funny um uh, that was a tough one that was a tough one it was i don't know if it was really a hot take that even toby made but i was listening back and i'm like that's a that's a statement right there. Yeah, I think it, it was is. A hot take. Yeah, I and think it's hard a hot because, take. of course, singing is important. But yeah, there yeah. are many other things. Yeah, right. I do. Yeah. I do like what you said there too, Jen. I do. I was. I was hoping that I would <laughs> get the other do. side of that, but then I was like, well, what can you do besides sing? And then I'm like, well, I guess you could like hum lots or of things. Something. Yeah, there's lots of things. All right. So yeah. I think I think Ben wins this round because he mentions rhythm, and that's a pet peeve of mine with singers <laughs> that they don't keep a beat when they're singing (laughs) and so i had to start with that (laughs) all right last round all right jen you need this all right (laughs) you need this to uh to to otherwise your fifth question is wasted i know it's wasted all right so but ben you're starting off okay okay all right so this is from this is from um texas friend jenny beavers okay and she says the other day John Williams will be in our theory textbooks 100 years from now. Again, John Williams will be in our theory textbooks 100 years from now. What do you say, Ben? Oh, easy agree for me. Some of you know that this is my most recent presentations have been on superheroes and John Williams villains. And of course, this music has a richness to it. This music has a really ubiquity to it that places it, I think into our theory textbooks no doubt um i think what he does with timbre what he does with uh obviously rhythm and meter i mean it applies to lots of different domains and of course the commercialization and the way that he pairs this with certain scenes and film and the way his style has developed over the years oh yeah definitely going to be in music theory textbooks yeah okay jen au contraire well as much as i love me some harry potter and star wars um, the movies and the books and all the things, I will say that, you know, in a hundred years, I think maybe we'll have some women or people of color who've written a lot of film music that has been successful that we can, um, find in theory textbooks. I think that, you know, John Williams steals a lot of things from composers from the, the 19th and early 20th century, and perhaps someone with more sort of original melodic ideas and harmonic ideas will have uh, made it onto the scene by then. I do think that film music is likely to be more well represented in um, theory textbooks a hundred years from now, but perhaps not just the work of John Williams, the one that we've all heard of the most right now. I said Harry Potter and Star Wars. Oh, she's going for a bonus word. I was hoping one of those was the bonus word. Uh-oh. No, the, the bonus word was not that. The bonus word was Brahm. 
the uh, the uh, the Hans Zimmer horn. Oh. <laughs> okay, I thought it was gonna be Voldemort, but then I was like, nah. I thought about having it be like da da, but that was a little too too much. All right. Okay. Well, I think I think I think Jen wins this for claiming that John Williams stole, and also because Ben self promoted in his answer. So I did. I did. I did. <laughs> so that means we're tied. We're tied up. All right. So we've got a tiebreaker. All right. Okay. And this is this is a hot take that I came up with. All right. Okay. Jen, I came up with the this? other day. All right. All okay. right. I'm ready. So Jen, you're you're up number one. You're up one. Okay. All right. Here we go. Within fifty to one hundred years, all music the general public consumes will be generated by artificial intelligence, thus making the study of music, including music theory, obsolete. Again, within 50 to 100 years, all music the general public consumes will be generated by artificial intelligence, thus making the music, the study of music, including music theory, obsolete. Do you agree or disagree, Jen? I disagree. First of all, I think that uh, live performance still draws people today, even though they have massive amounts of access to music that is recorded or available electronically, people still go out to hear music performed by other human beings because there's something really special about that experience. And I also want to counter the fact that, or the idea that music created or generated by AI wouldn't be interesting to be studied and would therefore render music theory study obsolete. I think music theory study will hopefully adapt and develop strategies for analyzing music created by computers. So I disagree to the whole statement. I think people will always love live music and will always love creating music together in public spaces. And I also think that music created by or generated by AI could be really interesting and will probably be studied by people like us 50 or 100 years from now. Maybe not me 50 years from now, but, you know, <laughs> I would be in my 90s. So let's hope you're retired. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Jen, or ben, au contraire. Mm. I have to argue that the field of music theory will be obsolete. Didn't think I would be making this argument this morning. Uh, so, But you must. We'll start by saying that artificial intelligence does emulate the processes in the history of music and music composition because what composers have done in the past is draw from preceding styles and offer original and innovative ideas to those styles to create kind of a stream of consciousness and sequencing that progresses throughout history. So artificial intelligence would be considered a natural consequence of that process. Now, as far as studying it, maybe if we truly study and figure out the way that the artificial intelligence is generating these new styles, then we could get to a point, conceivably get to a point where if we know how artificial intelligence is generating new styles, then we have figured out every possible new style that would be created in every possible part of the world, including Mars. I mean, just kidding. Is that the bonus word, Paul? Uh, then, then we should get to a point where music theory is absolute. Including Mars. Please tell me that actually was the bonus word. No, there's, Mars was not the bonus word, but there were three actual bonus words. I would well, have accepted Alexa, Siri, or Bixby, the Samsung uh, virtual assistant, uh, as, as the bonus word. 
correct. Does it not count that I asked Siri a question earlier before we started recording? <laughs> no, it had to be in your answer. Oh, it had to be in your answer. Bad. That was a hard one. That was really <laughs> difficult to argue. I'm not going to lie. Uh, all right. Well, I, I don't know. I, I feel like we're all winners. Um, but I feel like I feel like Jen probably won that tiebreaker because no, Ben, so. you started you started capitulating by the end. I wasn't really <laughs> sure what you were arguing. Me neither. <laughs> All right. Well, Jen, congratulations on winning the Thanks. first annual music theory au contraire mon frère masseur. All right. I love it. And so so yeah, those are some fun hot takes. And so we might, yeah. we might do this again. And those are uh, really good. Yeah, but it's fun to. You both answered like so well, though, like just off the cuff. And uh, I was ready to like take notes and, you know, come up with answers, and I didn't need to. I just was like, okay, I think I know. Yeah, there was yeah. one. Which one was it where I was like, I don't know how to disagree with this or was agree it? with it? There was one. No, not um, the Credential 6 4 one. No, that one I knew. Uh, <laughs> was the, uh, the John Williams or the singing? John Williams. It was John yeah. Williams. I was like, no, I think he probably will be. Like his yeah. music is really exceptional, very interesting and mm-hmm. memorable and he has a recognizable yeah. style. Like yeah. 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 So anyway. Yeah, it's hard to argue against that idea. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap for our first summer short. Sweet. Ooh. So yeah. And so uh, we will be back, probably not with more games. But uh, with more conversation <laughs> uh, related to theory, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you then. You just made it to the end of another episode of Note Doctors, the music theory and pedagogy podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review the podcast. And you can always reach us at notedoctorspodcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or show ideas. Thanks for listening. <laughs>